0: 19 I knew I wanted to do something where I enjoyed it I could make a lot of money and I could compete as I've worked here longer and longer I realized that working as a district manager really checked all those boxes I've mastered the fundamentals I know the program works and I also think that load management has been a key to sustaining consistent success in the long term and I've really just showed up focused on what I could control including pouring into people what matters most in life is your impact I'm proud of the impact I'm making, and I'm truly at peace with how I'm making my impact through working at Vector Marketing.
1: Darren Gardner has been a consistent top performer in the district manager ranks at Cutco Vector Marketing. He has had a chance to work directly with three very different division managers who happen to be three of the most powerful leaders in the company, Trey Ketchum, Ben Jackson, and the legend, Larry Manley and he's taken the best from each of them and applied it to his own life and career. Darren truly loves what he does and he's living the opportunity to its fullest. He was even appointed recently to the role of Assistant Division Manager with Trey Ketchum. If you're a Vector Manager or if you lead a team of any sort, Darren's insights can help you develop an understanding of what matters most. and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. My guest today is one of the elite leaders in the Cutco Vector Marketing Organization today. His name is Darren Gardner. He operates in Jacksonville, Florida, and is the assistant division manager working with Trey Ketchum in the greater Georgia division. Darren's time with Cutco goes back to 2007. He started with Larry Manley. It is incredible how many amazing guests on this podcast can trace their roots back to Larry. The amazing testament to him. Darren was going to school at NC State. University at that time. He ran a branch in 2009 and became a district manager in 2010, originally in Greenville, North Carolina. He had a chance to eventually move to Greenville, South Carolina, a little bit bigger market where he had tremendous success. He won two silver cups there in 2015 and in 2017. In 2019, Darren made another move to Jacksonville, Florida, Uh, He'll tell you a little bit about why that happened during the interview. He has now produced over $11 million in Cutco sales. He's a member of the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame and recently appointed to the Assistant Division Manager role in the Greater Georgia Division with Trey Ketchum. Darren, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Dan. I've been a fan for a long time, so I've been looking forward to this.
1: I know you've been a great fan and supporter really since the outset. I appreciate you for that. And it's been a long time coming here, and it's, been the, it's good that we're connecting for this now, and we're going to have a good time. Take us back to 2007 and starting out with Cutco.
0: Yeah, so 2007, I just finished my freshman year at NC State, and I had been a lifeguard for the last three summers, but you know, that was back in my hometown. I wanted to stay in Raleigh for the summer. I got a letter in the mail. And I guess I got it in early May, but it got sent to my house. And my mom kept calling me. She's like, she got this something about this letter. You need to call it. And being the, the college procrastinator I was at the time, I had my car washing job. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then I went home to get laundry done because that was what I did as a freshman in college. I would go home whenever I needed to get 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 my laundry done. And my mom had laid the letter out on my bed and was like, call this letter.
1: <laughs>
0: Called it. Had an interview. And when I went in, I was like, man, this is really cool. These knives are cool. Like I, I'd never really even seen entrepreneurship modeled for me. My parents, I mean, my mom worked at a bank, my dad worked at a factory. So just the opportunity, like I could see that it was a good thing. And uh, yeah, just, I was like, hey, I'm going to do this for the summer and I'll keep doing it until I figure something else that's a better fit for me. And then here I am uh, 15 years later. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was she was right. And, uh, and I was uh, very glad she was persistent.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of us that started out doing this for the summer and then... Figured out that it's a cool place to stay for a lot longer than that. And you, uh, you in your early days, like tell us some of the stories from the those early days and some of the lessons that came out of there.
0: So that first summer was really cool, and it's it's neat to see because in our business, there's a lot of people who work for like a summertime, but there was multiple people who are still around in the business currently that were in that started my summer. Brian Hurlman, me and him became uh, great friends. Uh, I was the best man in his wedding; he's gonna be the best man in my wedding this upcoming. Uh, I guess technically we got married last year due to COVID with my uh, church wedding. And then Catherine Peraza, who's now a, a reopened as a district manager in the Western region, was in my training class. So me, oh. Brian, KP, we're all, I mean, we were three P's in a pod that first summer hanging out. So it's, it's been cool to see how that's, uh, you know, that, that crew has, has done big things in the company.
1: So Wow. So Catherine was in your training class.
0: Same training, me, Catherine, and another person, Diego, who also ran a branch. So that was a, I didn't even get held back during the day one hold back. If that lets you know how the, the quality of the training class was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is funny. Nice. Nice. And Brian Herlman from the same summer as well in the same office like that. Uh, what a crew, what a crew again, like just uh, what a testament to Larry, huh?
0: Yeah, for sure. It was. Uh, it, he made it fun, and uh, he promoted what was going to happen, and and, it, and we saw that vision happen. So it was it was cool. Me and Brian, the next summer, we were also assistant managers and roommates. So as you can imagine, uh, if the walls could talk in that house, they would. have uh, was, was some good times had between me and uh, me and Mister Holman.
1: Uh-huh. Give us one of the, the the biggest memories that stands out.
0: So I remember our end of the summer conference, it was KLC back then, 2007. It was in Georgia. Everyone's going out, you know, doing their thing after the uh, after the conference. And me and Brian were sitting by the pool and we were just talking about the summer and just, we were talking about how we knew we were about to crush this, like how we were going to crush being assistant managers and we were going to run good branches. And And it was like we knew. It was like we knew at some point we would, uh, you know, we we would both be Hall of Fame managers with the company. So that was uh, I still remember that, like uh, however long ago that was. Just sitting in the, sitting in the pool at KLC.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think that it's safe to say that you were lucky that Brian was there the same summer as you, and he was lucky that you were there the same summer as him. That synergy, I'm sure. Produced a good chunk of the early stages of your guys' development. Just being able to be around each other was probably a critical piece in your development in those early days.
0: I tell you, it wasn't the early days; in the middle, because it was me and Brian are very different, and so it was like we peaked at different times. Like when I went out as a branch, I had an okay summer, but but he crushed it. And then we went out as, as districts the next summer, and you know he wasn't doing as hot, but but I, I was doing well and we would look forward to going to conferences because we'd get to see each other and hang out. And, you know, so that relationship, it was, it was something I always look forward to any event was I I get to hang out with my boy.
1: So uh, amazing. And you've had a chance to work now with it in three different divisions with three very powerful DVMs, right?
0: Yes, I have. Very powerful, very different.
1: Tell us a little bit about the differences in working with uh, Larry and Ben and Trey. So
0: it really comes full circle because Larry's the legend, right? I mean, he was he was more of like a father figure type. I mean, he was in his 40s. I was, you know, 20 at the time, so he was a, he was a great mentor, and I, and I learned a lot from him. And then I guess Ben took over in 2014. So I'd been working with Larry for about seven years. I had learned a lot. I had, you know, matured as a manager and then Ben was just the hot young gun. Like Ben, me and Ben actually started the same summer too. It was in different offices, but we both started in 2007. So this is someone who's been in the business, you know, the same amount of time I have But just, I mean, as, as a rep, he crushed it as a branch. He crushed it. I always remember just looking at what Ben was accomplishing and really raising the bar. So to work with him, it, it leveled me up and I achieved a lot of success there. And then, you know, when I moved to Georgia, well, Trey started with Larry, and then started with Trey. So Trey's a, a happy medium between the two, and uh, and it's cool to really partner with Trey. Trey, he's uh, he's like a buddy and a boss. Uh, we can just hang out, have a good time, and he's very wise. If I ever need anything, uh, there's yet to be a time I've needed something from Trey Ketchum, and he hasn't been able to provide some sage type wisdom. So they they were all in the, exactly where they needed to be at that part uh, at that point in my
1: career. Excellent. That's so cool to hear. Uh, What made you decide to be a district manager?
0: So, going in, like when I was in my, I remember sharing my goals in my cut code demos when I was a new rep. And people would ask, you know, what do you want to do? And I really didn't know. My answer at 19 that I thought sounded great was, I want to do something I enjoy where I can make a lot of money. Typical 19 year old answer. But I really didn't know what that was. Uh, Growing up, I wanted to play sports and be a professional athlete. And then I got to middle school and stopped growing. So I was like, that's probably. You know, my five eight hundred and fifty pound graduating high school self which uh, was not going to go to the NBA, uh, so wasn't going to be sports. I was like lawyer would be cool until I realized the amount of English that took, and I'm, I'm not a super strong writer. I'm better at math. So uh, with Cutco, like I was able to make a good income. I was it has the competitiveness like sports. I really saw it as a stepping stone at first, and I was like, hey, I'll do this until I figure out what I want to do, and then as I've grown as an entrepreneur. Like I could never go back to just having a job. Uh, If something happened with Cutco, I don't know what I would do, but I I would I would figure it out because of the skills I've built here. But it was just it made sense to keep going. And then as I did it longer and longer, I mean, I always tell people that are in that boat. I mean, if you're with a company that treats you well, they got good products, you got flexibility in your schedule, there's no cap on your income. Like to want more in my opinion, is kind of, kind of, kind of ludicrous. I mean, that's checks all the boxes and we get to travel, which is awesome. I and mean, I've been all over the world. So that certainly didn't, didn't hurt being from Eastern North Carolina and uh, you know, not, not getting to, I don't think I ever actually went out of the country other than like a cruise when I graduated high school. So I had never flown out of the country until, until after Cut So
1: yeah. A place to be. That's cool. I'm speaking to some of my region Darren, about some of the mindsets of winners or champions. And, uh, and one of the things that I'm going to be communicating with them is just the idea that deciding that you're going to be an entrepreneur, deciding that you're going to be in business for yourself is the way to go. And it's just it's great for people to, to make that decision and embrace it, that you're never going to really work for someone else. You're always going to be responsible for your own success. And it's cool that you saw that you had that opportunity in Vector and that you took advantage of it. I was also thinking about like being 5'8, trying to make the NBA. Darren, there is a history of NC State people who are very short getting to the NBA. I'm not sure if you remember Spud Webb, but uh, pretty sure he was an NC State Wolfpack back when he was in college. So you had a role model right there. I did. I actually just
0: got done reading Jim Valvano's uh, autobiography. So I read that. Uh, it was one of the last books I read. So I got to read about Spud Webb. It was a little before my time, but uh, inspiring. I was not.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. So you went DM. You had some good success. What was a transformational moment in your career?
0: So I went DM in a smaller market, and and we were shipping. It was about 500k new. We were hitting Presidents' Banquet. But the story I was telling myself was, when I get into a bigger territory, that's really when I'm going to do big things. And in 2013, I got that opportunity to move from a 180,000 person market to over a million person market. And I thought just that would solve all my problems. And then I proceeded to, to go to Greenville, South Carolina. And because I didn't have that same hunger that I did as a new DM, I proceeded to have the the worst uh, year of my career, mm-hmm. um, you know, actually ever. So I went from thinking I was just destined for greatness to I moved. And four months later, I was thinking I was going to be uh, be out of the business. And honestly, I mean, as a, a man of faith, I mean, I, I believe you know that a lot of things conspired there. But I was basically out of the business and my girlfriend at the time, Grace, me and her were having a conversation after SLC when I was kind of planning on shutting down. And I, I had this thing and I was like, I feel like I could be good here, but I don't really know. And she was like, I think you could be good here. And I was like, well, she believes in me. And then uh, right after that, there was an event, a PLS in October that I went to hosted by Al Di Leonardo and the, some of the, the people up in, in corporate. And I remember seeing the managers there and talking to to these people who were performing at a much higher level than I was at the time I realized there wasn't anything major that they had that that I couldn't also either already have or, or develop and I, I made the decision I just made the decision and that really reignited that fire to failures not an option and, and build something great and then um, we proceeded to, to go on a nice little run there from uh, from 2014 through through 2017 in, in Greenville and that was I really, when I I, I became uh, in my mind a, a pillar district manager in the company, so I went from yeah. out of business to being a, a top five new business office nationally uh, one year to the next.
1: So, so I, pre- I appreciate you sharing this, Darren, because I think that for anybody in Vector who looks at you know the great leaders in the company, they see the numbers, they see the history, but they don't see these you know moments in time where we're really having challenges and we're struggling mentally or, you know, we have a downturn with the results and we start to lose belief if we could do this. And, and I think that pretty much every leader in vector has had some experience like that at some point along the lines. And you were very lucky to have had a supportive partner there with Grace who encouraged you because sometimes without that, you know who knows where where things might have gone for you but you stuck with it you hung in there you turned that around within about a year and then you went on this great run as you've mentioned and where you've won two silver cups and had such tremendous success what do you feel like are some of the keys to having consistent and sustained success in the long term as a district manager
0: so i mean one is fundamentals. Like the way you get great in anything is the fundamentals. Like the fun part of the job is developing people. But ultimately uh, what I learned early in my career is, is recruit first. When I am, when we're building a campaign, I tell our staff, I want every person in Jacksonville or whatever territory I'm in to know that we exist. Because if they don't know we exist, we can't recruit them. Uh, so I get told no a lot at the beginning of every campaign. It's a lot of like, I'm not interested in this and that, but it doesn't matter because I know that it works. And then we, we get that first layer and, and we, what we say is going to happen, happens. We say, you're going to learn and we're going to pour into you and we're going to teach you. And they do that and they grow. And then at, sure enough, at the end of every year, at uh, the end of every campaign, we have, uh, we have something great. So I think about uh, fundamentals of the job, which would be touch creation, running good interviews and good rep management. And then I think about too, just but the mindset, I mean, mentally in 2013, I worked every single day of the summer. I burned myself out through exhaustion because I wasn't taking time. And a a thing as I've gotten older, I've realized that if I take one day a week to just recharge the batteries where I don't, I don't take work calls. I don't talk to anybody. I just, you know, just I'm I'm off the other six. I can give whatever I need to. And and I can go six days a week, a hundred percent all day long. So I call that you know, can call it load management. I know you're a big NBA fan. So just avoiding burnout by taking some time for myself and getting, getting really good at the fundamentals. And it's, I mean, the fundamentals work. Yeah. Right? Like we got a great business.
1: Yeah. You know, I like the concept of load management that you shared to relate it to the NBA. There are players in the NBA that have sort of minute restrictions on how many minutes they're going to play in a game. And the coach sort of you know, doles that out throughout the game and monitors that. And there are players also who the coach will sit for a game. Sometimes it's when they have a back, you know, two games on back-to-back nights. There are some players that will never play back-to-back nights, specifically because the coach knows they're fine now. They could play tonight. But if I do this, It's going to be compromising later in the season or in the playoffs when they have to play every single game and we need them to be on their A game every single game. And I do think that relates to our success in business as district or division managers or whatever role anybody might be in who is listening right? Is that you work a schedule that you can sustain because we're not in this just for a short amount of time. If you're a branch manager and you're running for the summer, like, shoot, go ahead, work all day, every day for three or four months. You know, you're 19 years old, you can probably do that and that's fine. And I did that when I was a branch manager too. But if you're a district manager and you want to be here for the long term, right? It really makes sense to be able to, uh, you know, develop a schedule that enables you to do that. This doesn't mean not working hard. This doesn't mean copping out. You yourself just said you're working six days a week with one solid day off. Like That's working hard right there. But to have your schedule be set in a way that works for you, that to me makes a lot of sense. You also described, Darren, the beginning of every campaign bringing a real strong effort to the recruiting process. Is that something you focus on right at the start of every campaign?
0: Yeah, the, the most important months in my business are, you know, mid-April to mid-May, mid-August to mid-September, and mid-November through mid-December, because I, I nail those three months. You just ride that wave down. And so, yeah, I, I think nailing the transitions is something I've gotten really good at throughout the years. And, uh, and yeah, it creates consistency.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Nailing the transitions. I think anybody listening who's a vector manager can take that one to heart and think about how they could do that. You're known as being really good at developing lots of reps and managers. What are some of your keys for development?
0: Number one, just caring about the person. I think anyone that works with me knows that I I care about them as an individual because I realize like I'm I'm probably not going to work with them forever. It's going to be... It might be a summer. It might be a a few years, but uh, eventually when they leave, I want them to look back at this and say, this was one of the things that made them the person who they are. So when I'm, I'm coaching that person, I do it from that lens. I, I think one of the reasons I develop a lot of branch managers, I don't talk to them like branches the goal. Like when they're you know, 19, 20 years old, it's not like, yeah, you branch, it's branches a, a, process, a step in getting you to where you want to go. So, you know, for someone who wants to create dream opportunities for themselves or for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur or someone who wants to achieve greatness in anything they do, the ability to create an opportunity at a young age where it's it's your show, you're running the organization, Like, why would you not take that opportunity if it's presented to you? So the people that, that branch in our organization, it's not because they're excited to run a branch, it's they're excited to do things past that and they know running a branch fits into
1: that. Mm, I love that, just that that vision, that being a branch manager is the step toward everything that somebody might want. That's such a good way of promoting that. And you talked about how you really try to master the fundamentals as a manager. And and is that also something you share in trying to work with your people is helping them master fundamentals of of the sales rep and young manager game?
0: For sure. And, and it, like I, I talk about as a manager, a lot of my fundamentals are just nailing the recruiting transitions as a, a rep, I talk to them about phone calls and recs, phone calls and recs, phone calls and recs. Because if you book your appointments and you have people to call, you'll learn how to sell the knives. Um, and that's, that's easy. Like someone gets excited, they'll, they'll do the research on their, own, on their own in Vector Connect and learn how to close and how to sell ultimates. But working on things like discipline, referral generation, and just like the basics of the phone. I got that from Justin Ludwig. I, as I've, I've, I've tried to reach out to people outside of my division in my region who do things well that aren't, aren't naturally in my strengths. And for a long time, I was a great recruiter, but I wasn't as good at productivity. And I remember talking to him and he's like, yeah, all we talk about is how to get Rex. And I was like, oh, that makes sense why you've developed a lot more All-Americans than me. They have, <laughs> they have a lot of people to call. So yeah, just Rex and phone, Rex and phone, Rex and phone. Once those are down, then we can teach you the, uh, the fun stuff.
1: Yeah. That sounds like it's really good stuff right there that people can can be thinking about how they're implementing, right? How are we helping all all of our reps to master their fundamentals when somebody becomes an assistant manager? How are we helping them to master the, the fundamentals of early leadership? And then of course, as we grow into being district managers and ultimately division managers, these same concepts apply. There are certain fundamentals that make all the difference and being able to master those things first is super important for our success. Tell us a little bit about how you add impact through the ADVM role that you have now, Darren.
0: So this has been my favorite role that I've had with Invector because now I get to work with a lot of other district managers and, and, and branch managers. And it's not just people in, in my district, it's, it's people through, throughout the whole division. So I can more teach. I'm not teaching fundamentals at this point. Like They've gotten the basic fundamentals of the representative job. So it's, I really get to teach leadership, teach you know, mindset management things like load management. So it's, uh, I feel like I'm really teaching people how to lead, not just how to run a good cut-cut business as, as an ADVM.
1: Hmm. What are the activities as an ADVM that you engage in to help other managers?
0: So as an ADVM, I really want to lighten Trey's load because Trey's super talented and he's only one person. So I, I like to multiply him. So adding us to run additional events and workshops for our up-and-coming representatives, Allowing me to give maybe a, a branch manager who wouldn't get who couldn't Trey couldn't make the one on one time to where I can dive in and, and same thing with our district managers. I really me and Trey talk, and I, I'm like Trey, what do you need from me this week? And he'll let me know. And a lot of times it's either it's one on one functions or group functions, but it, it does vary depending on the time of the year and depending on what what the division needs. So, yeah.
1: yeah. So you have a focus both on working with the district managers and then digging in with the assistant managers throughout the division as well.
0: Yeah, me and uh, me and Trey got a uh, Jordan and Pippin jerseys. I tell him I'm the Pippin to his Jordan. He just does his thing, and I'll, I'll handle the dirty work.
1: I love that. That's so cool. What a great uh, team that you guys are to help help the entire organization. And I know that there's a lot of DMs in in your guys' division, right? Yeah, there's a lot. I think you guys have like 12 or 15 or something like that. So pretty big team that you guys are working with out there. And so you provide a lot of coaching for a lot of other people, but you yourself have also sought out coaching that has helped you in your career, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it gets to a point where I've I've learned how to be a district manager and how to do the fundamentals. So next thing is leveling myself up. So I know I mean, some people that have made a big difference for me. I know Mike Lonzetta was really my first coach. Uh, I won at Silver Cup in 2015 and, and 2017, but 2016 was an off year because I really I'd accomplished every goal I'd set for myself in the business at that time, and I needed I needed some clarity there. And, and Mike gave me a lot of clarity, so he's been awesome. I've done some stuff with, with Andrew Biggs. I've done some stuff with uh, you know John Bergoff doing their exchange program. Getting better at running virtual events was one of the things I wanted to improve on over the last year. And uh, and also read a lot too. I, I set a, a goal to read every day, and I've I've read basically every day since uh, 2019. So uh.
1: now, so when you got to this point in 2016, where you had achieved all the goals you'd set, you were you know successful as a rep, as a young manager. You won a silver cup in 2015. What's that mindset like when you get to this point where? You don't know what's next. You don't know what your next goals are going to be. And and how did you work through that in your in your coaching with Mike Lonzetta and, and others?
0: It felt very empty when I got to that point. And I didn't realize it until I started coaching with Mike, but it was because I was focused on the wrong things. I was focusing on things that would make me look good and I thought would make me happy, like winning a silver cup. Uh, when I started coaching with, with Mike, I got a chance to look beyond... My accomplishments, and instead focus more on my impact. And it, and it's easy to because I remember one of our first conversations. I was like, man, I just don't feel really motivated. I'm about to move, and I just, you know. And he's like, yeah, but you have training this week. Like, what if someone like you is in your training this next week? Like, do they deserve to get some watered down version of you just because you don't feel like doing it? Hey, you're right. <laughs> like, it's, it's not about me, right? So, just transitioning from a a person who wanted to achieve a lot, to achieve a lot, to being really a servant leader who wanted to see other people check off things they're excited about.
1: Yeah. I think it's so important for all of us to have the mindset that any given day, we may meet someone that's going to literally change our life. Or on the flip side of that coin, we may be the absolute catalyst in the life of someone else. And you never know who that's going to be. You never know what relationship that's going to be. It could be a a person that is in your training seminar. Of course, that's a pretty easy place to find someone whose life you're going to change. But it could also just be an interaction that you have with somebody that you happen to meet randomly and you talk to, and then all of a sudden you connect with, and they end up being a lifelong relationship that impacts you powerfully. And so bringing our best to every day is just a great mindset to have in everything that we do. It really makes a big difference. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so why'd you move to Jacksonville?
0: So I moved to Jacksonville to uh, to be with Grace. So me and Grace, we started dating in 2013. We were both district managers. Took a little break uh, there in the middle, but uh, a lot of things happened. Anyway, we got to the point she didn't want to move back to South Carolina. Me, espanol no es muy bien, so I wouldn't have done super well running a cut co office in Puerto Rico, and then. Uh, when the chance to move to Jacksonville opened up, it, it just really it gave us a chance to be together. It meant starting from scratch in a brand new division, but I got to be with Grace. So that was, uh, you know, that, that was worth it in my eyes. And yeah, that's, so I moved for love. The reason a lot, a lot of people do uh, do things that might not make sense on the surface, but they they know in their
1: heart's right. So that's what brought me. Yeah, back. so you left a, what is a giant market? I, I think most people outside of the South aren't super aware how big Greenville is, but it, it really is a very large market. And you left that to go to Jacksonville, which is also obviously a very big city and big market, but it wasn't like it was a move up. It was more of a lateral move. And you left a division that you're in and entrenched in and growing in and, you know, probably would have had big opportunities there more quickly. You took that step and, you know, was there fear as to whether you could build back up what you had or you know how did you feel about that
0: there wasn't fear because i'd done it before i knew it was going to be hard and it was it gets more challenging every time you move because you move from a bigger organization and you're still starting from scratch i think i heard you say one time like whenever you have a massive year you, you got to work that hard just to get back to what you what you did before but i i in greenville when i'm moved to Greenville, South Carolina, I moved with like annual goals, whereas I moved to Jacksonville with a 10-year vision to to build the best district organization in in the country is really, that's what we're building here. Um, So 2019 was tough, but I had my standards. I still took my off day. I did all the things I knew to do. I didn't have a great summer, but I rocked my transition. We had built some momentum over the fall and then over the spring, COVID hit and a lot of people were freaking out I think I was freaking out less than some people because I already went through just such a a nuts year in 2019. I was like, it's not getting any worse. And if someone's going to figure it out, like, cuckoo people will, we will. So I was I was ready come, come 2020.
1: Yeah. It's cool that you had that mindset that, hey, I've built before, I can build again. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to do what it takes. I will make it happen. I think that mindset is critical if anybody out there is thinking about, you know, moving for a different opportunity or a bigger opportunity or any sort of change in their vector status. You have to have that mindset of willingness and that feeling of just knowing that, Hey, I've done this before. I'm going to do all the same things again. It's not easy, but it is doable for anybody to make that happen. And you have had great success in 2020. I mean, 2020 was an incredible year for you over $800,000 in new business, which placed you among the top. In the entire company in that category, and well over a million dollars in total business. Speak to a little bit of the success of uh, of 2020 and how that came about.
0: So, when I look back, it was such a whirlwind, especially giving everything that had happened in, in 2019. To go from the worst May I'd ever had to breaking and setting the all time record uh, in the company as a district manager the next May. I, looking back, I, all I can say is. I showed up and I, I focused on what I could control. I poured into people. I focused on the same fundamentals like phone and rex, phone and rex, phone and rex when I was coaching representatives. I I did look for ways to still get that human contact. I know that as we went more virtual, that's a thing that can get lost. So I, I made it a point to in, in ways that were safe, like you know, meet people occasionally for you know, like a lunch, or like a coffee, or you know, we did a a Top Golf trip. Where we would all, always keep it to you know a handful of people, but it's still pouring into to relationships and just yeah, having faith that it was going to work out, and it and it did in a a really big way.
1: Yeah, what were some of the keys to having um big recruiting that you had during 2020?
0: One, we had an awesome staff. I mean, to kick off our summer, our staff helping us lay the foundation of recruiting that that's huge. I didn't have that in 2019, but in, in 2020, we had people who had been with us for a while that had had success. That when they're, it's one thing when I reach out to someone and I'm like, hey, you should work for me. It's another thing when their friend's like, yeah, I made 10 grand last summer. I learned a lot, like manager cool, you should do it. So our AM staff got good people in front of us. And I didn't run less events because it was virtual. I used that as an opportunity and the same amount of hours I would have put in to do more things because it took less time. Like it took less time to run an interview. Uh, you know, it took less time to, to, to run a team meeting because people aren't driving. So I could run like more workshops. I could, we could run more interviews. I could get, uh, it was easier to get one-on-one time because people didn't have to drive. I could, I could hop on a zoom and do a lot more zoom back to backs than I could if people were physically having to come to the office. Um, so yeah, just, uh, intensity was the same, but I, I made adjustments and I, I didn't, I didn't use it as an excuse to why I wasn't going to hit my goals. I, I looked for the, the silver lining and, and that's where the magic happened.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you launched 106 people in May and 97 in June. I mean, that's just immense. Anybody that goes out and has that kind of a start, it really just harkens back to what we talked about, about nailing the transitions and just having a big start to every campaign, bringing a ton of energy to the start of every campaign. And then just riding that wave. That to me is a very just sensible approach to driving the business and it's sustainable for anybody to do. I think that everybody can sort of buy into the idea that, hey, for you know one month, three times a year, I'm going to bring extra energy and I'm going to benefit from that for the entire year. And it's going to help me be consistent all year round, every campaign. I like that approach a lot. I also noticed that you're up 52% spring campaign of 2021 over spring campaign of 2020. So your growth is continuing. I know May, May of 2021 versus May of 2020 is it, it's a tough competition for everybody in the company because last May was such a strange and unique thing. But I do think that when the summer is all done, we'll all be able to look back and say, hey, 2021 was a better year than 2020 and we've continued to grow. And I'm sure that's gonna happen for you as well. You referenced, Darren, doing a little bit of stuff in person last year. I know last year we were very limited on that. And so uh, it could only be done in a very limited fashion. I'm wondering what is your mindset on how we're going to approach this in moving forward this year in 2021 and beyond? How do we balance all of these new technological innovations with the human element of you know, developing people and building relationships? How do you see that?
0: Well, technology is a great tool, but it's not like, it can't replace relationship building, right? saying, you know, it's easy to quit a, a job, it's hard to quit a relationship. So I think, like, I still have an office, I still meet with my managers in person, we don't do big group gatherings, but I'll meet with, you know, a couple managers, uh, you know, at a time and, and get get that time. Like, the thing that, that lowers the barrier to entry, that's great. Virtual interviews, virtual training, that's awesome. But because of that, I, I look for additional ways to get that one-on-one time so uh, I can meet my representatives because I feel like you can just understand things in person that you couldn't see. And, and then they can, they can meet me. I think that, you know, in some of those top golf trips, we're just able to hang out and have a good time. And they see like, I'm not just this guy who was super into knives. Like I've got, uh, a great life outside of the business that I think you develop people because they see things that you have and, and they, they want to achieve some level of that in, in their life. And I, you know, I just don't think you can replace one-on-one contact. I think we're meant, to, we're meant to be in person.
1: Yeah. Is there a level at which you start thinking about this with a given rep that's developing on your team? Is there a point where you say, all right, they've sold X now. I should probably try to find a way to connect with them.
0: Yeah, so what we're what we're doing this summer is um, at 3K. I'm going to get a, a one-on-one. So once someone's at their second promotion, I'll get a 30-minute one-on-one call. Uh, when they hit 6K, we'll, we're going to do an in-person meeting. Uh, you know, I'm promoting uh, 6K get a bay just because I like top golf and I, it's, it's right here. So you know, 6K we'll, we'll go to top golf and I usually probably do that not one-on-one but you know two or three people at a time because a bay can hold like six and I uh, want to be able to get some touches. But yeah, so 3K one-on-one, 6K in-person. Uh, once they they get to 10k, uh, that's someone that I want to get weekly touches with, and then we're also doing a once a month, just office gathering where you know we get together and we might go to the beach or we might you know, we might go to Top Golf or bowling or something like that, a place where we can you know be safe about it and be smart, but we can also connect.
1: Yeah, and the once a month gathering is that the whole team? Uh, there's going to be
0: very doable levels to hit it. So in May. Uh, all the assistant managers, I told them for this one, this one's on me. You don't have to do anything. We just thank you for being a part of our team. Any representative that sells 3K in the first four weeks of May uh, is going to be able to, to come to this. So it's designed where anyone who's actively doing the job uh, should be there.
1: Got it. So I like the fact that you're thinking about, you don't have to spend time with people in interviews. You don't have to spend time running training, but you're thinking about how can I do more with the people who are coming up in my organization than I might have done in the past because in the past we were so attached to all these other activities that there were limitations on all the things you could do with your top candidates. But now that we have a lot of time freed up, right I think it's a good mindset to be thinking about how can I leverage my personal impact even more as people are you know growing up as leaders in the organization they're, they're, they're emerging as a key development candidate. And so I just, I like that mindset. I think it's a great way of approaching things here as we move forward. And it just seems to me like most vector managers seem like they should want to do that. They should want to hang out with key people. They should want to be able to spend that time. Like that's what helped them grow in the business. It's certainly a part of what I feel like is gonna help a great manager to lead and develop a big team of, uh, of leaders in the future.
0: I remember a book Trent Booth gave me a few years ago, The Leadership Challenge. And it, one, one thing that stuck me in the very end of the book, it did a survey and it's, it asked people, think about the worst leader you've ever worked with. What percentage of your best did you give them? And the average was like 33% and the highest was like 40. And you think about the best leader you've ever worked with, what percentage of their best did you get? And it was 97%. So by, by being a great leader and someone they can see genuinely cares about them past just the production they produce. I'm going to get three times their best. I want people to want to give their best for me. So I want them to see the best side of me. And the best side of me is not behind a computer talking about knives. The best part, the best side of me is, is connecting with me and see that I, I've got value to bring outside of the coat world.
1: Mm, I love it. Great stuff, Darren. There's one other concept that you and I talked about off camera that I think would be relevant for people in, in terms of how you spend your time. And it's the two hundred dollar an hour work concept. Can you speak yeah. to that briefly?
0: Yeah, and I got this from you. I get a lot of my things from you, Dan. You've been very influential uh, from a distance for me over the years. But I remember hearing you talk about what is your two hundred dollar an hour work. And as I've I've developed as a manager more and more, like I was always someone I will I like to do well, but I never really cared about being like the absolute best. And so as I've achieved a level of success, now it's like. You know how do how do I balance that because I'm very I'm very comfortable like me and me and I mean me and my my wife do well individually which you know together we 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 don't really have much to worry about so the way I'm staying motivated now is how can I spend more of my time doing that $200 hour mark because that challenges me to develop people to do the other stuff that is important right so what I'm really focused on this year is is how how can I get a business that can uh, operate at the level it operates when I'm doing everything through other people where I, I still have my handle the pulse like I'm still involved I have zero desire to just build a business I never have to show up for I think some people that's their goal that's not mine like I I enjoy the interaction too much I enjoy the, the teaching and coaching uh, and I think that sometimes we can as leaders think that we're we have to be Superman and, and do everything so what's my $200 hour work now? I mean, meeting with my staff, meeting with getting one-on-ones with my staff, a daily call to touch base, uh, really teaching and coaching uh, after the functions. I mean, in the month of April, I did everything. I ran pretty much every interview. I said a lot of PRs, but I didn't, I didn't just do it. I had people watching me do it. And then every manager and my staff, and if they'll probably listen to this and they'll, they'll realize this is what I was doing, but I gave every person like one task. So one person became my interview person. It's like, Hey, you watch me run these interviews and now I'm going to give you one a week. And then you know, then a couple weeks I watched them. And then one person, one other person was like my productivity person where me and them did PDI together. And then eventually they were doing all the PDI. And then, uh, one person was just my, my team builder and they were really just attracting quality people to our organization. And then once they get that task down, then add another layer, it's not dumping where I'm just trying to get them to do everything all at once, but delegating properly. My, my transitions now, as I, I develop this now, it's just, teaching, it's, it's transitioning the, the staff and it's proper delegation during that time. Like, you know, mid April through mid May was not just me building my office this year. It was me preparing my assistant managers while building my office. So they knew what to do once it got crazy. And that'll, that'll be the same thing as we transition into the school year and the same thing as we transition into the, the January
1: program. Excellent. That's great guidance there, Darren. What do you feel like is your vision for the future?
0: my vision of the future is to shorten the learning curve that i've had to getting to what i feel really matter with the people that i work with i've got a lot of very talented people and if i can help them realize that you know it's not about trophies it's not about records it's not about the the amount in your your bank account like all of that stuff comes as a byproduct by living a good impactful life so as i've i've grown myself i've really asked myself like what really matters and in my journal, I've got a list of I went to, to through a bunch of things I thought mattered at various parts of my life, and, I, and what really matters is number one, your impact. How is the the world different because you were in it? And then the second part of that is, are you at peace with the way that you're accomplishing those two things? And uh, the people that work with me, I, I really want to help them get clarity on those two things in, in the way that I have. And you know, it took me to always. Uh, in my 30s to, to really figure that out. So if I can help people do it when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, man, the, the impact that they'll make is going to be uh, going to be that much more greater than if they waited a decade to, uh,
1: to figure it out. I, I love that, Darren. Just how is the world different because you're in it? And are you at peace with how you are making your impact? And the idea of, of helping all of the people that we are impacting to shorten the learning curve that we all experienced. You know, you took however many years it was to be able to feel like you'd gotten to a great point in the business. And for me, it was probably a lot longer than it was for you. And, but all of us were having this, we're sort of layering on all of this powerful influence on Vector and hopefully outside of Vector. And we're helping so many people who really are changing lives through what we do and you're having a tremendous ripple effect, not just in Jacksonville, but through everybody who you've impacted and what they continue to do. And it's just a great way of looking at the future. And it's just something that I feel like is a, is a, a real positive vision. Yeah. Anything, uh, any last words you want to share with the Cutco Vector audience, Darren?
0: Well, I will say I'm at peace with how I'm making my impact through working at Vector Marketing. I, uh, you know, every year when we get recruiting hard, there, there's someone that's like, "This has got to be too good to be true." And you know what? I, I I couldn't tell you any of their names. I don't really care because that's not who I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for the people who, who are a part of this. And uh, so yeah, I, I can tell you, I'm proud of my impact I'm making, and I'm going to continue to make. And I, I'm definitely at peace with, with doing it here, uh, knowing I got people like you to continue to learn from and, and work with. And I yeah, look forward to the next time I see you in Vegas.
1: Yeah, and you're a great role model for all the district managers in the company and aspiring DVMs. You're a great example of being a, a, an ADVM partner for Trey. And yeah, hopefully we'll be together in Vegas at President's Banquet in, I guess it's October now. And i look forward to seeing you there, man. Thanks for being part of the podcast.
0: Awesome, thank you, Dan.
1: That was Darren Gardner, such a great example of district manager success and district manager leadership in the Cutco Vector Marketing organization. Amazing to hear the great people that Darren started with in his very first summer, Catherine Peraza and Brian Hurlman. And it just reminds me of the importance of our reference group. We've all heard the expression that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time around. If you are around quality people who are ambitious and motivated and inspired and positive and people of integrity, and you hang around them and you spend time with them, you gradually adopt a lot of the same beliefs and habits and mindsets, and it multiplies all of your success. If you're here in Vector, you're lucky to be here, and you're lucky to be around really Quality, amazing people. Stick around and grow with those people. Darren had a chance to be impacted by three powerful district managers Larry Manley, Ben Jackson, and Trey Ketchum. They've all been featured on the podcast and you can find their episodes. That is also a compelling part of his development story. I think it's instructive to know that Darren, after starting out well as a district manager, had a period of a downturn in his business. And I, and I think that that is the norm. That's not the exception for successful people. That's the norm. The people that don't have that are the exception. And it happens to almost everyone. And there are ways of working our way through that that involve you know, coaching from others, that involve sometimes going back to the basics and making sure that our fundamentals are strong and just having the right mindset. And I think that Darren started out with that mindset that he really wanted to be an entrepreneur. And when you truly have that mindset, you're more willing to hang in there when challenges come along. I love the insight about nailing the transitions each year. In the Cutco Vector business, we've got really like three campaign transitions that happen on an annual basis and getting those right and ramping up each campaign enables you to ride the wave of success and consistency all throughout the year. Darren referenced getting a lot of coaching from Mike Lonzetta and others. And I think that it's great that he had the foresight to dig into his own personal development in that manner. Not just in terms of like reading and learning, listening to podcasts like this, but paying for coaching is also something that some people can consider if it's right. I think Vector has a great network of free coaching that you can take advantage of with your DVM and your peers and people like that. But for those that want to take it to the next level, there are so many great resources of people connected to Vector or in the Vector community that can offer those sorts of things. Mike Lonzetta is a great example of that. Darren also said, by being a great leader, people give you their best. And I just feel like that's a great way to wrap this up today is for you to think about How people are viewing you, and do they want to bring their best to the table because they see you leading by example? They see you modeling excellence in everything you do, and they want to be a part of that. Check out episode number 45 with Larry Manley so you can learn a little bit more about Darren's first mentor and a mentor to many people that have been guests on this podcast. Check out episode number 106 with Mike Lanzetta. I think you'll get a lot out of both of those as well. Hope that you enjoyed this one today. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast, and to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com/deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.